Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Commentator Alcantad points out that light is a beautiful illustration of something that does what it has to do by being what it ought to be. Like the light, we must be if we are to do. So it's not like we're just trying to make some external speech change so that we sound different. No, we will be different when we change at the deepest level so that we are children of God. And then when we are children of God, our speech will flow out of that and we will do things differently. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We live in a dark, broken world. We were born into it, and our lives were full of sin before we met Christ. We didn't have to clean ourselves up and make ourselves righteous for him to love us. He saw us in our weakness and had compassion on us. As Pastor Ricky reminds us in today's message, when we accepted Christ's gift of salvation, he came in and started to change us from the inside out. He is light. And as we surrender ourselves to him, we reflect that light more and more brightly. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Speak to Shine from the book of Philippians, chapter two. Turn to the book of Philippians if you have a Bible this morning. We're in a series on the book of Philippians called The Happiest Book in the Bible. And as we've seen, that title is a bit misleading because this is the book, this is the letter that Paul uses the words joy and rejoice the most out of all of his letters. And yet he wrote this letter from a jail cell awaiting trial in Rome, uh, possibly at any time about to be tried and killed. And yet that's the place that this letter of joy comes from. And we have three core values as a church, Jesus, family, and mission. And we've seen those first two core values in the book. We've seen the value of Jesus making us joyful despite any and every circumstance. We've seen the value of family as Paul has encouraged the church to love one another and to serve one another with the joy of Jesus. And now we're gonna get a glimpse into that third value of mission today. And Paul is gonna encourage the church to shine as lights in the world. But before we read the text, I want you to ask yourself, okay, how would I tell other people, other Christians, how to shine the light into the world, right? Maybe for you, you think of, you know what would shine the light? Like serving the poor in this particular way, this notable way. We, you know, we all um, go out and have a big service day and that would shine the light of Jesus. Or maybe you think, no, a, a big evangelistic rally, right? If you're like me and you've seen these big pictures of Billy Graham rallies, you think that's it, that's shining the light right there. Or you think, no, maybe it's getting involved in politics somehow and making some big political change. That's gonna shine the light. Now, all those have a place, and there's passages that deal with those things, but that is not at all where Paul goes. He actually goes to a very surprising place to help us shine the light of Jesus. And so um, let's read Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. This is God's word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is God's word. So this is the way Paul answers the question. Do you want to be a light Right? Do you want a, to display a powerful witness of Jesus in the middle of a dark world? Then don't grumble, right? That's his application. And so this week, I, I, you know, sometimes as a, as a preacher, you're looking at the text and thinking, okay, what are we going to talk about this week? And I just thought, that is the strangest way to shine the light that I could think of, Right? I mean, this is not any, like, if I had a list of 10 ways to shine the light, not grumbling is not anywhere on the 10. And yet, this is what Paul zeroes in on, our speech. According to a 2007 University of Arizona study, most people speak about 16,000 words a day, okay? Some of you are thinking, well, I know some people that think speak a few more than that, but... 16,000 words a day. So, so Paul is actually brilliant because he's highlighting something that's in everyday life all the time for all of us. Every single day, we have 16,000 chances to shine or not shine the light of Jesus. So the big idea today is this. It's an imperative. Speak to shine, okay? That's the big application today. Speak to shine. Every time you speak, it is an opportunity. Use that opportunity to shine the glory of God to those around you, both in the church and outside the church. So we're going to cover this in four sections today. The first section is speak differently. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So Paul says we're to speak differently by not grumbling or disputing. Um, commentator Kent Hughes notes that the word grumbling in the original language is gugusman, which is an onomatopoeic word, a word that sounds like what it's meaning to say. Um, it evokes this, the kind of grumbling that we often do internally and externally, right? So if you think of the word gugusman, 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 right? You, your, your five, my five-year-old makes that sound sometimes. Um, I make that sound sometimes in traffic. Um, it's, it's a universal language sound, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's what we're getting at. And disputing is uh, the word dialogisman, which evokes the, the idea of petty complaining and dialoguing that calls everything into question. Just petty, catty kind of fights, and so there's grumbling, and then it comes out, and when we grumble at one another, it creates conflict and, and petty fights. And it's likely that Paul has a particular application of mind for the church in Philippi, um, because it seemed as though there was some grumbling going on, and there were some petty disputes. We're going to hear about a petty dispute in chapter 4, where Paul actually calls out two ladies in the church who are fighting. And so he's kind of preparing the, the, the groundwork to call these ladies out. And so Paul's concerned about this. And this, guys, this is universal for all of us. We all face this temptation. I remember this one memorable road trip where our family drove out to California and something was wrong with our van's windshield so that the faster you went, 
the more it made this squealing, like sque squeaking sound. Okay, so if you're going 30, it's like, you know, that's fine. You get 50 and it's going, and then like 65 is, right? And so it's like the louder, it's this like little tiny imperfection in the windshield where air was kind of coming in and the fat, and it was like a horrible choice. Like, do you go fast and it gets louder and you get there and it ends quicker? Or do you go slower and drag this thing out for your own sanity? And so, and so, and nobody talked, right? We're in the car, nobody's talking, but you could see all of us have a very particular look on our faces, which is this Greek word, gugusmon, right? Like you look in the back seat, people are just like, mm. And then what happens is you get out of the car and all of that pent up grumbling gugusmon thing devolves into catty fights, right? If you get out of the car, the sound finally stops, and like, oh, I cannot believe you ate all of the snacks. Well, we wouldn't have had to stop again if you didn't, you know, like all of that just comes out. This is exactly what Paul's getting at. That, that if you've ever been on a road trip, you've experienced both of these things. Now, why does Paul care so much about this, right? He is, remember this, he is in prison, possibly awaiting death, He's writing what could be his last letter to this church that he loves dearly. And he goes out of his way to bring a lengthy theological exhortation about grumbling. You just think, okay, that's not my, I'm, like if I was gonna write a letter to you guys, I probably wouldn't think of, hey, watch the grumbling. If I'm dying, I'm not gonna write that. And yet Paul cares about this. And biblically, Scripture cares a lot about this. Paul is using this language that would call to mind the Old Testament stories of the Israelites in the wilderness, right? And their famous grumbling. In Exodus 16, God's people had been miraculously freed from Egypt. They literally walked through a sea, right? Um, and they arrive in the desert and they're gonna be taken to the promised land. And what do they do? They say, well, look, at least in Egypt, we had better food, right? We should go back. The food was better there, right? I mean, all-time pinnacle example of grumbling. Like, you just got saved from slavery, but the food is bad. The food's very poor here. And so Paul, uh, God gives them something to eat. In fact, he gives them the same thing to eat for 40 years, okay? That's not a judgment. It's like, whoa, man. In Numbers 14, when they send people to spy out the promised land, the report comes back, hey, these people are big, they're strong, they've got a strong military, and the people complain, oh, we thought they would be easy to conquer, right? They're too big for us. And so God sends that whole generation of complainers out into the wilderness to die. And it's only their kids that enter the promised land. And you think, okay, man, maybe the Lord just needs to just take a step back. Why is he treating grumbling so harshly? Well, if you think about it from a biblical perspective, grumbling at its heart is a charge against God. See, God's people were grumbling and in doing so, they were charging God with this. You don't care about us. You're not gonna provide for us. This is what grumbling is actually saying to God. When God had just demonstrated his care and provision by bringing them out of Egypt, right? And their grumbling turned to disputing. They were fighting with their leaders. They were saying, we don't like Moses. And, and, 
And what happens is grumbling is the ultimate display of a heart that is self-centered. It's all about us. We're interpreting all of our circumstances through the lens of like, how does this affect me? And charging God, well, if my circumstances aren't good, it's because you don't care and you don't love me and you're not providing for me, right? That's, that's where grumbling comes from. This, is, this happens to all of us, guys. It's what you say when your spouse remembers to pick up the diapers but gets the wrong brand, it's what you whisper to a friend when you don't like the new office policy. It's what you say inside when you get the new kids' ministry schedule and you're not where you thought you would be and you're frustrated, right? This is just a thousand ways, a thousand places. Many of those 16,000 words can be grumbling and can lead to disputing. But there's a better way. Paul's laying out a better way. Verse 15, don't do that so that you may be blameless and innocent. So rather than using our speech to charge God or to stir up division, we can be blameless and innocent. Now, those are interesting words when applied to speech, I think. See, because often when we get challenged about our words, we react and we go, look, they're just words, okay? I'm just processing here. I'm just blowing off some steam here, okay? I'm just talking. I heard somebody say that one time. Listen, I'm just talking, okay? And you're like, okay. That's, yeah. And we can kind of give ourselves a pass. Like, listen, I just have to express these things. There's no other choice. And it's funny because you don't realize, I think, how many of our words reveal so much about our own heart. If you've, if you've ever had, if you've had the experience of having children who go from being infants, and around infants, you can basically say whatever you want. And then at some point, around two or three, you realize, this kid is like listening to me. And because like you say something and you look over at the kid and he's not going like this, he's looking at you. And you're going, "Uh uh-oh, what did I just say? You know, you just rewind the tape real quick, right? So certain words that you would normally say, you think, I don't want the kid to say that. So you don't say that, right? Or when your wife is being, you know, uh, annoying for some reason and you're just like, blah, and you normally say something. Instead, you turn into a, honey, I thought we had talked about on Tuesday, you know, like, like, And why? Because these kids are a mirror for us, right? We realize the words that I'm saying actually matter because they're going to affect this child. And in in a much greater way, the truth is that God hears every one of our words. In fact, it's not as though suddenly someone is listening. Someone has always been listening. In fact, somebody is listening to that internal Gagusman dialogue going on as well. Words matter to God because they reflect our heart posture. They reflect what we believe about God. So Paul continues, do this that you may be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So Paul introduces this idea that either our words are gonna be in the mold of of the Lord as children of God or in the mold of the generation around us. Um, C.S. Lewis has this term that I love. He describes our fallen condition as being bent, right? Apart from God, in sin, we are bent. We have a design clearly, right? And yet we're bent out of shape and twisted and marred by sin. And that's the whole generation around us that Paul is saying. And he's saying, don't be like them. Don't be bent in the same way everyone else is. Be blameless and pure. Be in the mold of God himself. It was, uh, it was last year that somebody um, at the church was, was hearing me talking to somebody in the next room, 
and they came in looking for my dad, right? And they're like, oh, I heard your dad's voice. I thought it was you. And I thought it was him. And I said, no, it's just me. And I realized, okay, yeah, we do have some speech patterns that are the same. And in a similar way, when we speak as Christians, people should overhear, in a sense, God. They should, they should think, oh, that speech sounds familiar. That speech sounds different, right? This is what Paul is encouraging them to do. We have a choice here. People should be able to look at our words and pick up a radical difference between us and the culture around us. We are to speak differently. Second, second point, we are to display differently. Now we see this radical result of a countercultural speech. Verse 15, among whom, when you do this, when you speak well, you speak like the Lord, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Man, this is such a powerful picture. If you've ever been camping out away from the city lights, you know this. When, when things are really, truly dark, the stars shine out, right? If you're camping, man, you can see way down there there's another camper because they've got like a small lantern because it's pitch black, right? In a world of pitch black, lights stand out, it creates a radical contrast. And Paul's saying, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to shine this way in contrast to the culture around us. Now, I don't think that we as 21st century Americans realize how big of a deal this is because this is the cultural um, current that we all swim in. And two cultural things in America collide to make this difficult for us. First, we have a culture of constant consumeristic comparison, right? We rate everything, right? If you're into Google, you can rate anything. You can rate anything from doctor's offices to hotels to TVs to restaurants to movies. And we have an opinion about everything, right? And second, we have a demand in our culture that we be able to express ourselves at any time with no restriction, right? Nobody tell me I can't say this. I'm going to say it. Oh, I'll say it, right? Nobody else will say this, but I'll say it, right? Like, and it's just this culture of like, I, I rate and evaluate everything and I'm gonna say everything that I evaluate and what I think about the world. And I think there's a beautiful picture of this on display when you read some of these Amazon reviews. Have you guys ever re read these funny Amazon reviews? Here's some, some that I found this week. Reviewing a banana slicer, uh, somebody wrote, wrong angle, all my bananas are bent the other way. One, oh, two stars, two stars. In a review of the movie Captain America, someone wrote, invited family over to watch this. When it was over, they just got up and left. Three stars. <laughs> On a book about Hercules, quote, did not like the way they made the story about Hercules, one star. On a book about the Zodiac Killer, <laughs> this is my favorite one, interesting but never solved, one star. Like, it's not the book's fault, right? But it, it sort of puts our attitudes on display, right? Because you can see the people leaving these reviews, they're so blinded. They're like, they're like, listen, two things are colliding. One, I'm going to evaluate everything. And two, I'm going to speak my opinion about everything, right? And this is the cultural world we live in. And so it's pushing us. We're in the current of like, say it, speak it, right? Rate, evaluate everything. And it cuts across every category, right? My husband doesn't put in the effort anymore. My management and my boss at work are just incompetent. This government is run by idiots. This doctor staff is the worst trained group of people I have ever met. 
right? And sometimes we say these things out loud, and sometimes we say them inside, right, in our brain, exactly. And remember this, the core of grumbling is that we are ultimately frustrated, not with the thing in front of us, not with the person in front of us, but ultimately frustrated with God for not providing what we want at that moment. When we complain against our boss, our teacher, our spouse, ultimately, it's a complaint against God. We're telling him, you don't care and you're not good. And, and that shouldn't surprise us that that is the default belief of our world. The world complains because it looks at and says, he doesn't care, he's not good. I'm gonna try to fight and scrap for some little bit of happiness instead of seeing the Lord holding out life for us. But in contrast to that, when we go against the cultural grain, it is a powerful, bright testimony. A commentator, Alcantir, points out that light is a beautiful illustration of something that does what it has to do by being what it ought to be. Like the light, we must be if we are to do. So it's not like we're just trying to make some external speech change so that we sound different. No, we will be different when we change at the deepest level so that we are children of God. And then when we are children of God, our speech will flow out of that and we will do things differently. Paul is actually making a a profound theological point in using this phrase. Um, He's alluding to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, which looks ahead to the day of the Lord, where it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So Daniel is holding out this picture that at the end of the age, everyone will see clearly and and beautifully the shining brightness of righteousness. And you think, well, we're not there yet, though. I don't see the day of the Lord. Well, Paul says, exactly, exactly. What Paul is saying is that when we use our speech well, when we imitate God, when we point to the reality of God, we are giving a glimpse of that future day today right? The the day when all righteousness will shine out perfectly is being glimpsed when we, with our speech, speak words of brightness and lightness and that reflect God. In, this is theologically profound, in the simple realities of everyday speech, we have an opportunity to testify to the brightness of the last day today. That is what Paul is saying, and that's amazing. What an opportunity. So what what does this look like? Well, what's the opposite of grumbling? It is gratefulness and contentment. Gratefulness and contentment. It moves us from a self-focus to a God-focus. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong in read the entire Bible or encountered it for the first time today on Better News Radio, you can learn about true joy from the happiest book in the Bible. This book, the book of Philippians, shares just how this joy can be accessed and how it's only possible through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know more about who Jesus is and how you can find the joy that he offers? Then please give us a call 
you can reach us at 915-562-7100. That number again is 915-562-7100. We'd also like to point you to a free online book answering questions that you might have. It's called Better News, and it's written by Pastor Ricky. Find it online at betternewsradio.com. Download and read it when you have some time, and feel free to share it. We'd like to encourage you also to join a local church. This will provide you a stable home base for your spiritual growth and a new family to support and encourage you. If you happen to be in the El Paso area, please come visit us at Cross of Grace Church. We meet each Sunday, and we'd love to have you be a part of our time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and service times online at betternewsradio.com. Just click on church. We're so excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Better News Radio. We pray you continue to be blessed by what you hear and that you'll meet Jesus personally today. Join us next time for more from the happiest book in the Bible, Philippians, right here on Better News Radio.